Can we turn in our Bibles uh, to the book of Genesis again and to chapter 9 and verse 32, and then we'll go on down into chapter 30. But we'll begin our reading in chapter 29 and verse 32 today. Genesis chapter 29 and beginning our reading at verse 32. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son, and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son, and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and left bearing. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld thee from thee the the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold, my maid Bilhah, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, Bilhah her handmaid to wife, and Jacob went in unto her. And Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me and hath also heard my voice and hath given me a son. Therefore called she his name Dan. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister and I've prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. And Leah saw that she had left bearing, and she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife. Uh, and Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. And Leah said, A troop cometh, and she called his name Gad. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. And Reuben went, in the days of wheat harvest, and found mandrakes in the field, and brought them unto his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, Give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. And she said unto her, Is it a small wonder that thou hast taken my husband, and wouldst thou take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. And Jacob came out of the field in the evening, and Leah went out to meet him, and said, Thou must come in unto me, for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, God hath given me my hire, because I have given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name Issachar. 
And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob the sixth son. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. And God remembered Rachel and God hearkened to her and opened her womb and she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go into mine own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee and let me go for thou knowest my service which I have done thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee if I have found favour in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. And he said, Appoint me thy wages, and I will give it. And he said unto him, Thou knowest how I have served thee, and how thy cattle was with thee. And we'll end our reading there, knowing the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word for his namesake. Let's just unite together in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for the uh, precious word of God. We think of these sons, how they become the sons of Israel, the children of Israel, and we think of, of thy dealings with the children of Israel down through the centuries. And our Father, we do thank thee for thy sovereign purposes even in the midst of the difficulties of life. And our God, we pray that thou wouldst teach us from the passage of Scripture, a difficult reading, and we think of the strife that's in the family here. But Lord, we thank thee that in the midst of all, God is in control. So our Father, bless us now and be with us as we consider thy word, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. We have, uh, it's often been said that there's no bother like bother that's in the family. If you bother, bother in your life, it's bad enough. But if there's bother in the family, you can't leave it. It's always with you. And here we find Jacob has bother in his family. Last time we thought about Jacob's marriages and how he uh, served Laban for 14 years for the hand of his daughter Rachel. But when the... Uh, uh, the wedding had taken place. Remember how that Laban had substituted Leah instead of Rachel and how that uh, he had been deceived and he was forced to serve another seven years for the hand of Rachel. But Jacob ended up with two wives and he, life went on for Jacob at that time. And it's evident in the context here that Jacob didn't have to wait seven more years to marry Rachel. He fulfilled Leah's week and then the marriage with Rachel had taken place. It's just that he had to serve uh, the seven more years. And Jacob did that, giving him his dues. He did that. He served the seven more years. He had left behind a lot of his deception and his old uh, way of going, his deceit, and uh, with a full heart, he seems to have served the seven years more for the love that he had for his wife, Rachel. And there are two main themes in the portion of Scripture 
that is before us. The first theme here is the trouble that is caused by polygamy. You can see the strife that there is in the family. You can see the rivalry. You can see the envy that takes place in the family. As we've read it here, how that the two sisters here are at loggerheads over the, um, uh, the, the uh, love of their husband and the children that they're buried and how there is the strife that takes place in the family. But then there's another purpose or purpose that we have in this portion of Scripture, and that is the birth of the sons of Jacob. And as we have said uh, before, we think of how these men become the children of Israel, and they are the fathers of the tribes of Israel. And of course, that is something that's important in the economy of God and in the economy of salvation, how that God uses the children of Israel there, are his covenant people. And of course then, the birth and the development of the children of Israel is a theme that goes right through the Bible. Indeed, you find in the book of Revelation that the gates of the New Jerusalem are named after these boys, or named after the tribes of Israel. And so this is something that goes through the economy of God. And that's something that's important. So the Spirit of God takes time uh, with these things. And you can see the way that God takes his time to describe each of these boys in turn, the circumstances of their birth, and something about their name. And that's something that we need to pick up on. There's something that God wants us to see. So I want us just to take a wee time today to look at the account of Jacob's family for our learning. And we want to see some of the wonderful lessons that we can glean in God's word here. Now, the first lesson that I want us to see as we look at the portion of Scripture is the lesson about strife in the family. You'll notice in Genesis chapter 29 and verse 30 that there is a very telling phrase. It says about Jacob there, that he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years. Now that's where the problems start. This is a situation that's far from being ideal and the struggle between Jacob's wives, Rachel and Leah here, becomes a horrifying battle. Each wife wanting what the other has. We find that Rachel has Jacob's love but she doesn't have children, but she wants children. And Leah doesn't really have much of, she has the lesser amount of Jacob's love, but she has the children. Uh, and uh, Leah uh, wants uh, Jacob's love. And each one is looking for what the other one has. And we think of the offspring that takes place. And you think of the history here. God blessed Leah with a firstborn son by the name of Reuben, and then she has three more sons. She has uh, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And when Rachel did not have any children, she becomes upset. And she says, here, take my um, handmaid, Belha, and let her have children uh, upon my knees. So Jacob takes Belha to be a wife or a concubine. And you have com concubines entered into the whole uh, mix here. And we find that Bilhaz, Dan, and Naphtali, 
And then when Leah stopped having children, she gives Zilpah her handmaid to Jacob and their two more sons, Gad and Asher. And then Leah has two more sons, Issachar and Zebulun. And then God blessed Rachel with uh, Joseph and with Benjamin. But we think of all the intrigue that takes place. We have the story there about Reuben's mandrakes. And mandrakes were a fruit about the size of an apple of the Belladonna family. And it was rumored or it was thought in those days that it would bring fertility. Now, that's why Rachel wants the fruit. And you think about the intrigue, how that Leah then bargains with Rachel for the attention of her husband in order to uh, have time with him. And there is this intrigue. There is this, oh, this bargaining that's taking place in the family. And you can just see the whole thing is not ideal. But what I want you to see in the midst of all of this is the law of judgment and kind. We can see, if you look in the Bible very carefully, you will see the law of judgment and kind is one that is uh, brought to the fore very often. Now, what is the law of judgment and kind? Well, it's stated a number of times in the Bible, uh, perhaps most clearly in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, where it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You reap what you sow. In Job chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, Even as I've seen, they that plough iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. You reap what you sow. And you can see how that the punishment very often fits the crime. The punishment that God gives us in this life is just uh, some kind of relationship to the crime that we have done. Dwight Moody one time was in a, city, uh, a southern city preaching on the value of the word of God in a person's life. And suddenly he was interrupted in the audience by a loud voice. And the man shouted out, Mr. Moody, I don't believe a single word. Uh, the, the Bible is a collection of old wise tales. He says, that's what I call your Bible. And the, the evangelist who didn't really even know the man said, my dear man, he says, there's one verse in the Bible that you have to believe. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He says, a man who sows wheat doesn't, uh, wheat, wheat doesn't reap potatoes or peanuts. And then he said, take the saloon keeper for an example. He sows drunkards and he will reap drunkards. And the audience uh, then burst into loud applause because many of them knew who the man was. He was a saloon meet, uh, keeper and his sons had turned out to be drunkards. And he reaped, the man reaped what he sowed. And that is something that we can see. And you can see it here. Here is Jacob the deceiver, and he has been deceived. He has been deceived into marrying two wives. He has been deceived as far as uh, Leah is concerned. Deceit, he has sown deceit, and he has reaped deceit. And then we thought the last time, about the way that Jacob went about finding his wife. Remember when he met Rachel at the well? We thought about the difference. There were many things that corresponded. 
with Genesis chapter 24. And you remember when Abram's servant had gone to find a bride for Isaac. And he had gone to a well and he had met the bride coming and she had watered his flocks and then she had brought him back to meet the family and so on. And all of those things are seen when Jacob meets Rachel. But the thing is, there was a difference that we said. Jacob didn't pray. Abram's servant had prayed, Lord, send me the right girl. And he had said, well, if she comes and feeds, uh, waters my flocks, then I will know that she's the right one. And then when that had happened, he gave praise and thanks to God. We found that, Rachel, or, uh, that Jacob hadn't done any of these things. He had gone in the flesh. He had decided to be like a he-man and show his strength and move the stone of the whale's mouth in order to impress Rachel and act like the he-man. He was doing it in his own strength. Uh, But the thing is, when he got Rachel, she was barren. She was barren. So his efforts in the flesh, well, they were successful to some extent, but they were not completely successful. And you know, when we do things in the flesh, sometimes or very often they have the habit of not turning out to be successful. And then there's another thing. We find that Jacob had been the means of bringing strife into the family. Remember the family, his family had broken up. He had had to flee. He he had caused hatred in his brother Esau. His brother Esau was determined to kill him. And there was strife. The family had broken up because of the actions of Jacob. And now God brings strife into his own family. There's strife in his own family. He's reaping what he sowed. And you know, when we see how God is chastening us, we often get clues to the thing that God is chastening us for because we reap what we sow. And you can see that even in our own lives. The manipulator is manipulator. The causer of family trouble uh, ends up with trouble in his family. And you think of the story that oh, behind all the uh, intrigue here, here is a man, and God is ordering all these events. And that's the thing, that behind it all, God is ordering the events. And you can see that in our lives. And when we look back on our lives, you can see the way that God is ordering events. So you can see here in the midst of all of this, there's strife in the family. But the second thing I want you to see here is solace in the family. I want you to think about Leah here. Leah doesn't often get focused upon. We focus upon Jacob, we focus upon um, Rachel. But you think about the situation of Leah here. She's ended up in a loveless marriage through no fault of her own, through the deceit of her father. And as we read in Genesis 29 and verse 30, we're told very clearly about Jacob that he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years. Leah Leah was Jacob's first wife. However she'd ended up in that situation, she was his wife. And she is here and then Jacob serves her, uh, or, uh, is with her for the week. And then he marries Rachel and she ends up a second best. Now, you think of that and what heartache that brings. And you, you can see it in the strife that takes place and the way that Leah is always looking for the affection of her husband. 
and always looking for time with her husband. And you can see that in the story about the mandrakes there and how she is trying to buy time. She actually says that she has hired her husband and she gives that name to the son that is born. She's hired time with her husband. And you think of all of that and the love and the, the, uh, the way that uh, she's been treated. And yet God is looking after Leah. Why? Why do I say that? Well, she is the first son. She is Reuben. And obviously, when she is Reuben, she thinks that he is going to be the one who's going to be in the line of the Messiah. Uh, and she says, see a son. And that's the meaning of the name. Now, she's uh, disabused of that very quickly. Uh, Reuben is not the one who is going to be in the line of the Messiah. But her fourth son is. Judah is the one who is going. And when you look at this story, it is not Rachel who is in the line of the Messiah. It's Leah who is in the line of the Messiah. And you can see just the care of God here. She's lost out. It seems as if things in life have gone against her. It looks as if she has drawn the short straw as far as all of these things are concerned. And yet God, in his control, is caring for Leah in the midst of all of this. And we think of how God has uh, uh, kept uh, Rachel barren for a little time so that Leah can have this place in the situation. And isn't that amazing? How that God looks after us individually. Now, you would think God, the God of the universe, the God who's made all things, wouldn't be interested in me individually. But he was interested in Leah individually. He was interested in looking after Leah. And God is interested in you and in me individually, personally. Above all the multitudes that are in this world, God is interested in you and in me individually. He cares for you and for me individually. He knows the way that we take. And when he's tried us, we come forth as gold if we're saved by the grace of God. But I want you to think about this God. We think of how he was described to Moses. And Moses proclaimed in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, the Lord the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. And when things get hard and difficult, we can remember that God loves us. And we know that by the fact that he sent his Son to be our Redeemer and our Saviour, it says in 1 John 4 and verse 10, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Isn't it wonderful that we have a God who looks after us? And you can see that. Here's a, a, a woman very often we pass over. We don't think about Leah and all the hardships she's going through. But God is thinking about Leah. And you know, maybe you think to yourself, well, I, nobody thinks about me. God's thinking about you. God has his mind upon you. And 
even when things seem to be hard, God will reward you in the end of the day if you know him as your Savior, if you know him as your Lord. But then there's something else. We have noticed the strife in the family and the solace in the family, but I want you to see the significance of the family. Now, the Bible has spent a lot of time here describing the births of each of these boys. Every one of them individually were given not only their names, but something about what their mother said or about the circumstances of their birth. Now, the Bible doesn't do that out of no reason. The Bible uh, spends time uh, speaking about things for a reason. So, there is something for us to learn, and there are many things for us to learn. But these are the people of God. The, the children of Israel are going to be the church of God in the Old Testament, and they're going to be God's covenant people. So the birth of each of these men who's going to be the heads of the tribes of the children of Israel is going to be significant. And of course, really, every one of us from Adam right through are saved by the grace of God, and we're saved by the merits of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that it is not insignificant then that when you put together the names of each of these boys, you'll see the gospel. You'll see the gospel. You look at the name Reuben. Reuben means see a son. And isn't that what the gospel invites us to do? It invites us to see the one who is the son of man. You think of John the Baptist, and he cried, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The apostle Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we look to the Son, and we look to his mercy for eternal life, for salvation. He's the only one that we can look to. And that's the heart of the gospel. Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. And that's what God is inviting us to do. See a son. See the Son of God today. Simeon means hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And men and women, we need to hear the word of God. We need to hear the proclamation of the gospel. The Lord says, hear, and your soul shall live. And you know, we need to open our ears in this day to receive the precious word of God. The third son is Levi, and his name means joined. And we're saved when we're joined to Christ. And when we are saved, we are joined to Christ, and that's a great blessing. We are received in union with Christ, and that is the heart of the um, the gospel of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're brought into union with Christ. C.H. Spurgeon once said, there's no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. And my, what a happy thing it is that we're united to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're adopted into the family. We receive all the blessings of the family of God. He's our mediator and he is our savior. Are you joined to him today? Are you in union with Christ? Have you been joined to him by his grace and by his mercy? The fourth son is Judah. His name means praise. 
And the psalmist said that when he was lifted from the horrible pit and the miry clay of sin, he had put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. The hymn writer had it right. There's a song in my soul today, something I never had. Jesus has taken my sins away. Oh, say, but I'm glad. There is joy. There is gladness in believing. I'm not saying that we're not going to have hard times and difficult times. Jacob had hard times and difficult times, mainly because of his own waywardness and sin. And so often that's why we don't have joy and gladness. But when we're in the presence of God, in his presence there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Dan, the next son, his name means judgment. And you think of how the gospel brings us to judge ourselves. As we hear the gospel of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're ever going to be saved, we've got to come to a right judgment of ourselves. We've got to see ourselves as sinners in the sight of a holy God. And men, women, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will face you with your true condition. You'll see the uh, offense of the cross. The, the, the Bible speaks about the offense of the cross. And one of the reasons for that is that we do see ourselves as we really are. It brings us to a sight of ourselves. And the gospel brings us into that right judgment of ourselves. The sixth son born was Naphtali, and his name means wrestling. And there are a number of things um, alluded to there. There's the wrestling with God in conviction. There's the wrestling that takes place in our souls when we're saved. We wrestle with God. We, as it were, resist God in the flesh, but God takes hold of us and brings us to that place of submission but of course, that wrestling continues after we're saved. We think of what Paul speaks of in uh, uh, Romans chapter 7. I have a law in my members that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And that wrestling, to some extent, even continues. But there is a wrestling in the child of God. In you, unsaved person, there's no wrestling. You don't wrestle with your sin. You don't really resist your sin to that extent. But dear friend, when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, there ought to be a wrestling with sin. And then the seventh son, God, his name means a troop. And when we're saved, we're brought into the army of the king of kings. We put on the armor of God. But that name, a troop there, also has the thought of being together, like an army together, fellowship. We're brought into the fellowship of God's people into the fellowship. We are brethren and sisters in Christ. We, as uh, those who are saved by the grace of God, are brought into the living kingdom of God, and we're part of the uh, church of God, and we're brought into fellowship. And my, what joy there is in that fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and what joy awaits us in that fellowship that we have in heaven. Asher means happy. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. There's no greater joy than being saved. Issachar means higher. It speaks of service. And when we're saved, we're saved to serve. Paul's greatest title was a servant of Jesus Christ. 
a servant of the Most High God. And when we're uh, saved, we, we're saved to serve him. Zebulun means dwelling. And when we are uh, saved, the Lord comes to dwell in us. And he comes, he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts. And he says in John chapter 15, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And the early church discovered the vital meaning of that fact that I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. He's living in me. I, I don't dwell, well, I do dwell in Northern Ireland, in that, I don't dwell really in the place where I am. I don't dwell in England or uh, Northern Ireland or the USA or where. I dwell in Christ. Christ dwells in me. That's the fundamental thing. I have the Lord with me everywhere I go. I am in him and he's in me. And Zebulun speaks of dwelling. And you think of that ultimate dwelling place that we'll have in the heavenly mansions. The Lord says, occupy till I come. Dwell here until I come. And then we have a greater dwelling place forever and forever. Joseph means adding. May you think of the things that are added to your life when you're saved. Everlasting life. Forgiveness of sins. The adoption of sons. We could go down through the propitiation. We have pardon. We have justification. We have sanctification. We have adoption. We have so many things. We have the graces. In, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Beside all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Uh, for if these things be in you and abound, they make that you sh ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And my, when we are saved, there are things that are added to us that are of eternal and blessed benefit. And then, of course, Benjamin means the son of my right hand, and that speaks of Christ. And it brings us back to Christ. We started with Christ, see a son. And we end with Christ because Christ is everything. He enfolds us all. And he is the end. And he is the beginning. He's Alpha and he's Omega. And it's all enfolded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, when you look at that, you can see that nothing in the Bible is by chance. Everything in the Bible is for a purpose. And that's the last point that I want to come to. The Scripture's about the family. Because when you look here and you see the way that God uh, indicates the meanings of these names, and you can take a study and you just look at the things that are said about each of the boys as they're uh, born, you will learn something even about the prophecies about uh, the future of the children of Israel when you look at it. I can't get into that now because our time's gone for one thing. But anyway, 
What I want you to see just now as we close is the way that God brings the Scriptures together. You know, sometimes people say, um, God, in his plan, he planned to do this, and then that didn't work, so God dispensed with that plan, and he started another plan. No, God has a plan right from the very beginning. And God was bringing the plan together right from the very beginning. There are some Christians that believe that, that, well, God had a, a plan, and then that plan didn't work, didn't work with the children of Israel, so God dispensed with that plan, and he brought in the church. No, God has a plan right from the very beginning. And you can see it even in the gospel indications in the meanings of these boys' name. And God uh, is bringing his own to himself right from the very beginning. God has a people for himself and you can see, you know, people, we think of God's, uh, uh, the Bible as God's love letter to us, and it is. Or people look at the Bible as God's handbook for life, and it is that. It's both of those things, but it's much more. The importance of the Bible is based on the fact that it's the revelation of God. And when you look at the way that all these things come together, you can see that it's the revelation of God. And that's why we need to read it. That's why we need to, make it important in our lives. You know, we have an importance upon education, and there are many things that we need to learn in this life. But you know, theology used to be counted as the queen of the sciences. No longer counted as that. Many theology part departments in universities have been abandoned. I think queens have abandoned their theology department. Why? Because theology has been discounted. That's the wrong way to look at things. God is at the center of everything. And God has said, till I come, give attendance to reading. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. A former U.S. Uh, a president, U.S. Uh, Ulysses Simpson Grant, once said, Hold fast to the Bible as the sheet anchor of your liberties. Write its precepts in your hearts and practice them in your lives. And it is the sheet anchor of your liberties. When people turn away from the Bible, as they're doing today, they're turning away from liberty. Do you see the way that they want to impose their point of view upon us? They want to impose their philosophy upon us? Hold fast to the Bible. It is the sheet anchor of your liberties. George Muller, known for a strong faith, and the first year, three years after his conversion, he said, I neglected the Bible. Uh, I neglected the Word of God. But he says, since that, I began diligently to read the Bible. And he said, since then, I have read it over a hundred times. And he testified this, read the Bible and read it again, and do not despair of help to understand something of the will and mind of God, though you think they are fast locked up from you. Neither trouble yourself, though you may not have commentaries and expositions. Pray and read, and read and pray, for a little from God is better than a great deal from man. And we undervalue the word of God but it is the sheet anchor of our liberties 
And we as God's people need to be reading the Bible in these days. May God enable us to do that and we think of the lessons that we gleaned from the sons of Jacob. Let's just unite in a word of prayer in closing. We'll not sing the hymn. We'll just uh, unite together in prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts today. And Lord, we thank thee as we've looked into thy word, we can see the way that the Bible is forged and the way that it is set out that God is in control of all things. And Lord, we realize that man thinks he's in control, but we thank thee that thou art the one who rules the waves of the sea and the mountains in the mountain ranges. And we thank thee that thou art the one who rules the bodies in the sky. And so, our God, we commit ourselves to thee, and we pray that thou wouldst bless thy word to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen. Amen. I, I'll go out to the back. If you want to shake hands with me, that's fine. Uh, but uh, maybe I advise not today. <laughs> and, uh, but we'll be there and we, we can wave at one another when we're passing by.